When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the Tom Bernard Show.com brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant. Who, me? <laughs> I'd like to know if I was married to a whore piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) You could just look at her license. My special stripe. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. Coming by sweet corn, potatoes, onions, pickles. It's not how you use it, sir. (laughs) (laughs) It's really sickening that anybody would be into radio this much. It is ungoddamn believable. I think I'm going to hell. I just realized it. Thank you, Tom. You're just delicious. <laughs> We're here today with Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. Michael, what's going on? You know, we keep getting phone calls, and it's interesting because people try to handle a lot of stuff on their own, or they try to talk to the adjusters, or they wait, um, and they think maybe it'll cost them money if they talk to me. And, you know, we tell them it's free to talk to us. Um, I go through what their rights are, and you know we try to help them as best we can. We don't sign everyone up. Sometimes I just give them advice, and they go from there, and then call us back later. But the key is, is that they don't know all their rights, or they're not told all the rights by the adjuster. And that's one of the things we try to make sure that they get, you know, they get that understanding, uh, so they can help themselves and their families as best they can. And the number is is eight hundred seven seven zero seven zero zero eight. Or at the website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Brad, Sean, Bryant, Michael Bryant, thank you. Seeking justice for the injured, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. Brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant. Kicking off the show this week, we had comedian Jeff Dye in studio. Turkin' some country music. Next on The Best Of. Jeff Dye with us in studio, ladies and gentlemen. Rick Brown's house comedy tonight, tomorrow night. And a show on Sunday night, 7 o'clock as well. Have you guys ever seen a show? I know you have, Dave. Uh, I've <laughs> Why, seen just a show. I've no, we talked about it on it. the show all the time? 
a show called Tales from the Tour Bus. No. no. Mike Judge, who did King of the Hill. And Beavis and Butthead. Uh, and Beavis and Butthead. <clears throat> He's got a series from last year. I think they're going to do it again this year. It's called Tales from the Tour Bus. And it's and I don't know anything about country music. I, mean, I pretty much grew up in an R&B neighborhood. Uh, but it's half animation and half live action. And it's about Jerry Lee Lewis, and it's about Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson and all these people. Every one of them shot somebody. <laughs> oh, really? Every one of them. I mean, these hillbillies. Yeah, they love their shooting. They love their... Well, you know, it's the same with R&B, though, right? Most oh, of those rappers have been Pickett. shot or shot people. Oh, absolutely. And all music industry just loves shooting people. Well, apparently, they just like to shoot people. <laughs> no matter what side of the tracks it came from, there's a lot of shooting going on. <laughs> Tell you what, it is funny, though. Listen to these guys talk about it. I'll tell you one thing is what I did because I wrote all these songs and everybody loved my songs, but I couldn't get them published. So one day I just went to Nashville and I went into the publisher's uh, office and I said, you published my records, I'm going to whoop your ass right now. That's the way to get business done. I guess it is. Yeah. yeah. Did you notice, Tom, in the Johnny Paycheck episode, there's oh, probably God. one of the oh. most, if you haven't seen this, it's it's one of the most throwaway lines and it's so weird. They're talking to his former manager, and they're talking about something or other, and then he goes off on this tangent about turtles. Yes. And then he starts talking about where turtles', turtles sexual organs are, and then they're oh, like, you guy. seem to know a lot about turtles. And he goes, well, I've had sex with just about every female animal on the planet except turtles. And like, then they show a close-up of the three band members, and they're all like, uh-huh. And they just roll out. And this guy wasn't like he was joking. He just no. sat back, and it was just very matter-of-fact. I've had sex with just about every other female animal, never a turtle. Never a turtle. What a what? psychopath. <laughs> well, that's what what happened to, like, see something, say something? Man, yeah, that's a red flag. <laughs> Although we did find out in that same episode, apparently, that turtles' uh, genitalia are in their tail. So yeah. the penis is in the tail, and the vagina is in the tail of a turtle. Well, I didn't know that. I'm I'm worried about this guy. I am you too. should be. Yeah, you should yeah. Be. The society should be worried about this guy. Yeah. He's about what five four, five three, something yeah, like that. Nine hundred years old. And he uh, really hates the fact that he's short. He hates it. Yeah. He it's, he, he holds it against the world that he's he's five foot three. That is weird. He isn't holds it, it against animals. Isn't it weird though that yes. they do that show and they're talking about all these celebrities yes. and they're they're weird. Twists. Then he does twists. Jerry Lee Lewis, and he pretty much did the most sanitized version of a story I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. Considering Jerry Lee Lewis had, you know, uh, mysterious deaths that occurred around him a that lot they, of them. they didn't oh, ever really? touch that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, the guy had three people in his in his immediate family drown. Yeah. His little kid, Jerry Lee Jr., his wife, and somebody else, and it was like all right in there. And they pretty much believed Jerry Lee was involved in at least one really? or two of these. And he's like, hey, well, yeah, well, I, I'm attracted to people that can't swim good. Right. I don't know why exactly. that. Don't blame me. Yeah, he can't swim. Well, I don't speaking get of it. which, kind of, I learned yesterday, Kelsey Grammer, you know, uh, Frazier. Oh, his whole family's dead. Yeah, when he was a kid, his sister was murdered. Uh, and then water. a couple of years later, his dad was murdered. Right. And then a few years later than that, two of his brothers drowned in a scuba diving accident. That's correct. Four. Of so his it's family like, yep. yeah, four family members in the span of ten years. It's like yeah. I don't know. Martin Luther kind of suspicious. Brother was found in a pool, literally like weeks after Martin Luther King's famous speech in D.C. Yep. And they're like, that's nah, probably just an accident. You're like, I don't know. Maybe we should look into this. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. It seems to be like he's ruffled some feathers with those white boys down in the office. Unfortunately, one of the guys you work with, his wife drowned in a pool. Yes, that is true. Billy Shatner. That yeah. was a terrible deal, man. He found her at the bottom of the pool one night. 
Oh, God. Man, some what people, a tragedy. Some people just have a run of bad luck. I dated Yes, a, four people did. <laughs> no, I dated, I dated a woman that had an ex-husband and two sons all hit by cars. Oh, my god. Hit by gosh. cars. Was it her car? No. Wasn't her even her car? No. Uh-huh. They all... One was killed. The other two were injured. Good God! But, and yet you still and, dated and dif- it. And yeah. different situations. Say, so get the hell away from me. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. She Move started on, telling girl. me that story. <laughs> yeah, I was like, eh, You're like eh, you know, okay. I'm going to be real busy for the next uh, <laughs> decade, You're so I need to get out of here. That works. For me. <laughs> the large trust left behind for his daughter by the king of rock and roll has been reduced to a reported fourteen thousand dollars in cash. And Lisa Marie Presley's now suing her former manager for $100 million because of it. Presley, who is reportedly... 100 six, million. Yeah, $100 million. Uh, she's reportedly $16 million in debt, uh, argues her fortune was lost because Barry Siegel... Andy, you know who Barry Siegel is, don't you? Mm-mm. No. One of my best friends, Bo Siegel. His real name is Barry Siegel. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Bo's right real then. name is Barry Wait, Siegel. Wait, you know him real good? I don't think it's the same Barry Siegel. Oh, okay. okay. I was going to sure. say, that's pretty fascinating. <laughs> he, this one worked at Warner Brothers, and we, w, WEA worked at Electra. Yeah, I was going to say, your Electra buddy might right. need a friend real soon if it's $100 uh, million. Well, dollars. He could anyway. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> uh, because Barry Siegel failed to alert her to inappropriate spending on expensive homes mainly and made a bad investment, TMZ reports, after selling 85% of Presley shares in Elvis Presley Enterprises for $100 million. What? In 2005, she sold it for $100 million. Why would you do that? And why are you broke if you sold it for $100 million? Well, Siegel invested in Core Entertainment, the parent company of American Idol, according to Presley. When the company went bankrupt more than a decade later, Presley says she lost $24.5 million. In a countersuit, Siegel tells a very different story. The 2005 sale of Presley shares cleared up uh, over $20 million in debts Lisa had incurred and netted her over $40 million in cash and a multi-million dollar income stream most of which she managed to squander in ensuing years. Siegel's attorney says, per the New York Daily News, she refused to listen to the warnings of her most trusted advisors and her family and eventually stopped paying Siegel, according to the suit. She's looking to blame others, but has only herself to blame for her financial and personal misfortunes. It adds, as part of the proceeds of her divorce from Michael Lockwood, I don't even know about him, who's Michael Lockwood? Mm-hmm. Presley has claimed she owes $10 million in unpaid taxes. $6 million from the purchase of a U.K. home, and $500,000 in other unpaid fees per Us Weekly. Lockwood claims her fortune still exists. So her ex-husband said it still exists, but she says it doesn't. I don't know what, what Barry Siegel says now. <laughs> this is just proof, guys, that bad things happen oh, to good oh. people. You know? <laughs> okay, well, let's take a gander at Michael Lockwood. We're all facing a Lockwood. battle, you know? Gee, how did those kids ever break up? Take a look at Michael Lockwood. They, oh, yeah, I saw him today on the news. Yeah, he's a little weird-looking guy. He looks like uh, he was very yeah. inspired by David Bowie and all of the puppets from Labyrinth. All of them. <laughs> every one, every single one. I want to look like that man, but yeah. also all the creatures. Sure. I'd love to look like a creature if I possibly could. <laughs> wow. oh, so he's a... Uh, Michael Dean Lockwood, he's uh, 56 years old. How old is Lisa Marie? She's, um, I think she's my age. She's like 49 or 50. She's like 49 or 50, man. So this is going to force the pretzel out of retirement. He's going to have to come back and, and make money again for his daughter, right? Yeah, don't, yeah, don't tell the colonel, though, because he'll come up out of the grave right, to take half. <laughs> what a pig that man was. Well, Good God. Who? The colonel. I don't know who that is. That's that was his manager. manager. Oh, I don't even know who that guy is. Colonel, colonel Tom, Tom Parker. Wow. Never heard of yeah. him. 
Colonel Tom Parker. Bad guy. Elvis Un- could not do concerts overseas or anywhere outside the United States. Why? Because Colonel Tom Parker was an illegal immigrant and couldn't get back in the country if he left. So he said, if I'm not leaving, you're not leaving. That's the worst. <laughs> Is that unbelievable? Yeah. I think settle down there, sir. And he he would have made so much money. Well, he, he already was. He was making a big chunk of Elvis's... 50%. Yeah, 50% yeah. for life. Which is ridiculous. Also, yes. one thing I've learned about people that make a lot of money is they love making more than that. Yes. <laughs> so why would right. he just go overseas make heaps? Well, he didn't want anybody coming between him and Elvis, so he was afraid if Elvis went overseas without him. He'd find some new guy. Somebody else is going to start spinning the web and taking him away. That makes sense. But what, it, it's always like what you always say, Tom. People who get in those positions... Mm-hmm. Wind up stealing money from the people every work, time they're working for. Do you have a manager? Yeah, I actually fire. Oh, I can't say that on the thing. <laughs> I've had that happen to me twice. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Oh yeah, you've if you've had a manager, you've had somebody steal from you. Oh yeah, and also it's like kind of <laughs> you know, one of those things too. It's like it uh, and speaking to what you kind of but maybe we weren't even on air when we talked about it, but like you know, being an entertainer, you got right. like some daddy issues or whatever and so like right, when a manager right. comes in you kind of like oh i trust this guy and you know yep. he you know he takes me out to dinner and buys me drinks and he talks to me like my like a dad you know and so they it's naturally true. take advantage of that for sure they do indeed and it's never enough i'm sure 50 percent wasn't enough for colonel tom parker yeah. i'm sure he took 70 80 percent oh yeah and he's like this is your cut filthy pig. The, the second greatest hockey player of all times had all his money stolen at one point. Who was that? Bobby Orr. Oh, that's right. Bobby Orr did. Yeah, yeah absolutely he did. He had every dime stolen by his uh, agent. Is that that's Elvis so Presley on the phone? Laura. Laura Presley? <laughs> Laura, is this you, Laura Presley? <laughs> Hello, Thomas. How are you? Marvelous. Where have you been, sister? Uh, busy, 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 busy. Mm, yeah, me too. I know what you're talking about. What's mm. going on? Nothing. I am mad at you. Oh, you no. Hey, a woman who's now, mad at me. Uh, whoever heard two of it. Get in line. Two, yeah, really. Get in line, two sister. Two weeks, I binge-watched Ray Donovan five. Actually, it was a week and a half. Right. That is such a good show. I don't know why I didn't listen to you. I told you to watch Ray Donovan. So she's you, angry at you yeah. because she didn't listen to Wait, you. Wait, are you guys married? <laughs> yeah. See? You're mad at him because he told you to watch a show and you didn't listen. That's exactly right. But usually I tell him what he needs to watch. Oh, okay. What's your favorite show? Well, actually, I'm calling because of you. Oh, well, well that's nice. Uh-oh, she must I'm like... nervous, Tom, and I'm never nervous. Oh, You're nervous talking to Jeff sweet. Die? Listen, if, if you have not seen that show, you've got to watch it. It is the funniest thing. I laugh out loud. Thank I have to you so it, much. I have to pause it. That means a lot to me. Thank you. We're, we're, I'm actually texting with the creator right now to see when this season three is happening. We're trying to get a season three. Yeah. I, I have a great idea for season three. Oh, yeah? Let's hear it. Go across the United States. Yeah, but that's the beauty of our show is that we don't do the United States. We're trying to show people of the United States the rest of the world. I don't know if we can take any more of this. <laughs> yeah, well, there is Because, I mean, we, we've seen America. We, we, all these shows do America, like Diners, Drives, and Drags. And that's the, what Diners, Drives, and Drags, very famous yeah, show. Yeah, you know, or, oh, we're, very famous. we're the something pickers, and we're the picker sisters, and we're the storage people. And the, we get I it. We've seen America so on TV. We're I trying to show the world to these people. I hate those storage shows. Oh, man. Oh, I don't know how it happened, but I opened up the storage unit that I bought for $50, and there happened to be six. 
sixteen million dollars in it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. They always find Come things that on. are real suspicious. They're exactly. like, "Look, it's Abraham Lincoln's skull." You're like, "I don't think someone that can't afford to pay their storage unit had something this valuable inside of it." Do you know? There are a lot of people that forget that they have storage units. Yeah, that they'll set up and they they'll, do. they'll do it, and then they just have it on automatic deposit or so, sure. or they've passed away and it's still getting pulled from their accounts, and people forget. And then all of a sudden, when it stops. You get that 90-day window, and they put those suckers up for well, auction. Well, doesn't quit, it seem really? unfair, too, that we just get to buy their whole belongings <laughs> and no, on TV go through it? Like, mm-hmm. well, they should have paid their bill. You're like, Although the, the auctioneers around the United States love that show because they were, they'll honestly tell you, most times when they would do these auctions, they bring in 150 to 200 a, a storage shed at right, most. right. And once the show broke and people are spending fifteen hundred, oh, yeah. all of a sudden, all these newbies are coming out to storage auctions yeah, and they're buying is. these crap units yeah. and going through it. Well, and also, my problem with that is that um, the things that we really cherish in our lives aren't necessarily that valuable. You know, so like you know, your photos of your family or like maybe something that has like right. uh, some sentimental value. And these vultures, they only want stuff that's worth money. So they're on camera being like, ah, it's just a bunch of photos of some old cow. And look, look, look at this plate. This plate isn't worth anything. You know, right. just breaking it. And that, yeah. that person's probably watching it on TV going, ah, those are photos of Graham Graham. Graham. <laughs> oh, they're breaking all these plates. You know, like, so it's a little, like, uh, opportunist and rude. I would, however, buy the storage unit from Silence of the Lambs. If you could pick, yeah, I'd buy the storage oh unit from God. Alex Rodriguez. I just want to buy, find out a head floating in formaldehyde in my storage unit. <laughs> that would be your luck. Oh, Tom's like, what's this worth? They're like, nothing. <laughs> nothing. You're going to prison. I, Damn. I, I just love the cutaway and reveal for that episode, right? Where you pull oh, back the sheet God. and you go, what the? And then yeah, they go exactly. to commercial and come back and there's the bobbing head in the jar. Uh, floating like, amazing. like there's no tomorrow. Um, I did. Uh, oh, is she still on the line? Laura's yeah, still I am. I, so you did answer my question. And I also, asked you if there's going to be a three. Yeah, the season three we're waiting on right now. Me and Terry Bradshaw want to have our own spinoff of the show. Yes, please. Called that Jeff is, and Terry's Merca, and that would be me and him in an RV going through America. Because oh, I, uh, I'm i not a real patriotic guy, like, good. and so on the show you'll hear me often say, like, oh, I love, you know, Japan's way better than America, or I'll be like, oh, Thailand's great, or Spain this, and people will, like, email me, like, you can't say that about America. So I want Terry to be like, John, I'm going to show you how great this country is and then take us on a road go. trip. We'll be back in two minutes. Laura, you can hang in there for two minutes, can you? Sure. All right, we'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. But it's the same old tune, fiddle and guitar. Where do we take it from here? Rhinestone suits and new shiny cars. It's been the same way for you. That was Jeff Dye on the best of. Coming up next, we had Vinny Favorito doing some Italian stuff. Boston, New York, the whole cannoli. Next on the best of. Son, you finally got it made. Old Hank made it here. We're all sure that you will, but I don't think Hank done it this way. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. We're trying to get Vinny to talk. He just won't open up. I know. It's very difficult. Well, try doing the morning show with Bob till you left. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> My God, to get a word in. Oh. 
horrible. Sandy. <laughs> Sandy just lost his mother. Did he tell you about his mother's last text to him? No. That uh, would have been a little morbid for no, the No, no, no. It, it's well worth it. <laughs> really? It's so Italian. It's so nice. His mother was this little tiny Italian woman yeah. who died at 92 and a half years old. Wow. She just died last week. And he gets back home, and he's, you know, Bob is very close to him. Yeah. So he gets back home. She's in uh, Forkhead River, New Jersey. That's where he grew up. Right. So he's going through his phone, seeing, you know, what he missed. And he, he runs across a text from his mother. The last text. So oh, excuse me. Call an ambulance. It was not a text. It was that one. Yeah. Call an ambulance. You Vinny. Wow. There's special room in hell for that. Wow. <laughs> oh, I missed I miss that text. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry, it wasn't a text. It was a voicemail. Oh, that that's worse. Mother. So he listens to the voicemail because he hadn't heard it. He listens to the very last. This is such an Italian thing. It's wonderful. So he, he listens and goes, hello, Bob. Bob, are you there? Hey, Bob. Bob, answer me. Ah, uh, Buffangool. <laughs> she hangs That's up. That's hysterical. Ah, wow. uh, Buffangool. That's, That's hilarious. She's about this tall. Wow. It's tougher than hell. Bob said he He's had an uncle. He's a good guy. Oh, Bob's a great guy. A really nice guy. Bob said he had an uncle in New Jersey that had a candy store, but it may have been a, a gambling parlor because his candy store had like one candy bar. <laughs> and that was about it. Yeah, we we have we have the finest restaurants in East Boston and the North End that just never open. It's it's amazing. How how finest does that ever happen? It's hysterical. I just love maybe you could explain to me nobody could explain to me how it is that the Italians on the North End let Whitey Bulger in there. Well, I gotta tell you, my my personal cousin did 16 years. He's out, uh, Vincent Ferrara, and oh, you can yeah. look it up. Yep, yep. Actually, if you saw Black Mass, you hear him talk yep. about it. I was in the movie with my other cousin, and they they did the scene. He says, I just saw so-and-so, so-and-so, and Vincent the Animal Ferrara, which you don't call him that, but that's what they Right. You know. And I called him right from the movies. I go, Vinny, they, they, they just mentioned you in the movie. He goes, I know, it's not a good thing. He goes, <laughs> he goes I'm, I'm calling thing. Oscar to see if I can sue them. Because Oscar was his attorney years ago. Right. And it was Chesnoff, who was Oscar Goodman's partner, who continued to be a lawyer. And he's the one who found out prosecutors withheld stuff when Vinny went for trial. Yeah. They released him that day. The judge said he would have never taken the deal he took if he, you know, this was known. All right. So he's out now. And uh, he just got married. He's in Hollywood, Florida. I, I just texted him with him this he's morning. He's in Hollywood, Florida? Yeah, he got married, and he's uh, he's in Florida. And you know what? Uh, he, he'll talk about things when, you know, you're just sitting there talking, but he never liked them, never, you know, trusted them, but it right. was business. Yeah, it was business. It was, that was business. It. That's the bottom line. I just talked to Kevin Weeks about a year ago. Kevin, yeah, yeah sure. I don't know if you know Kevin or not. I, I do know Kevin. I met Mighty Whitey twice. I don't know if you know who Kevin Chapman is. Big actor. He's yeah, out of Boston. I, I know who he is, yeah. We grew up together, good, good, good buddy. And I tell a story, actually, in Boston on stage. It's a true story. We were at the tent, outside club in uh, Boston once. And um, this is years and years ago. I was just coming up in comedy, and he says... Can you take a ride to South Boston with me? And I go, you know, I'm Italian. Southeast, the Irish. Yeah, you're I go, Italian. why would I want to go to South Boston? You you would never want to go. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm not, it's not a joke. Oh, no, you would not want Back to go. Back in the day. Seriously. Southeast, man. But anyhow, 
I, I said, well, why? He goes, I got to go see Whitey. I go, Whitey, like in Whitey Bulger? And he goes, yeah. I go, why? He goes, well, I borrowed $1,000 and I haven't, you know, paid the VIG or anything and I got to go. Ooh. And I go, I'm your muscle? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? But I, I went in the back yeah. and I met Weeksy before, but they sat down five minutes. He got up. He goes, all right, we're all set. And I go, okay. And then just as that, Weeksy gets up. He comes out, hey, Vinny, because uh, I met him through Kevin before, and then Whitey came and he introduced us. They never called him Whitey, though. He introduced us. The guy's eyes were the scariest thing you ever looked at in your yeah. life. I met him twice, and okay. twice I never wanted to meet him again. I mean, scary yeah. dude. Yeah. Scary dude. So Kevin uh, got out of prison, and he wrote a book. Yeah. So he wanted a book tour. And I had met Kevin years and years ago, actually in New York. I was in New York doing voiceover, and, he was in the, and I was at a party. And I, so I hadn't seen him in, God, that's probably 30 years. Yeah. Probably, maybe not that long. But so he's on the phone. I said, you know, Kevin, I got to tell you, um, you and I have met before. And there's a long pause. And he goes, you owe me money. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. Ah, uh, no. Wow. Kevin Weeks' line has killed, I believe, 28 people. Allegedly. Kevin, I'm sorry? Kevin Weeks killed like 28 people for Whitey Bulger. Kevin Kevin Weeks killed nobody. Oh, that's not what Kevin says. That's that's what Kevin does say. He he was after the fact, and he was there, but right. he's never actually killed anybody. And Kevin Weeks isn't a rat. He's a tattletale, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, are you kidding me? You know? Hey, listen, the, the guy, he's still around, but now he's making his living doing these, you know, books and tours books and, and that, speaking. Yeah. But he's still around Boston because he's still a tough guy. No one's going to go up to him and no. you know give him crap. This no. guy was one of the best guys with his hands. I That's mean, what around. I understand. Yeah. And during busing, I don't know if you know this story about Kevin. He was a monitor in the hallways at South Boston High School. Okay. Oh. And when the fights would break out in the hallway, it was his friends that were in school. He would join in with his friends fighting the minorities. <laughs> And he's a school monitor who's supposed to break it up. But that's in his blood. He's a Southie kid. Southie yeah. kids in Dorch and, and Charlestown, kids, the Irish, were the toughest kids ever. Charlestown, tougher than Southie. I still don't understand why it is, though, whether you're a Southie or a Townie, you're Irish, but you're the wrong kind of Irish. Exactly. It's <laughs> 100%. Well, Charlestown was the was the bank robber capital of the world, and and that they grew. Right. And if it, it's just like the town. It's not a joke. I mean, the right. town, they, they made the movie more current for the, the audience of the public, but that right. story's really about back in the day when... You know, the sons became the bank robbers after the fathers went to jail and stuff right. like that. But, you know, Patney, who's still around South Boston, he, he said, I should you know, he says it on TV, whatever, I should have killed Whitey back then. They couldn't kill each yeah. other. They tried and tried yeah. and they couldn't do it. Um, instead, they make a pack. You know, we're, we're, let's go into business together. But the guy was a snake, and, I, and to his grave, screw him. I spit on him. Oh, I was never a rat. He doesn't care any. He just doesn't want that tag. He was a rat working with the FBI. But and he everybody did work knows with the FBI. Of course he did. He absolutely he did. did. But, you know, South Boston, there was a time, if you were from Salty, you would never want to tell people you were from Salty unless right. you were that proud kid, teenager, because it yeah. was embarrassing. Now, try to get a piece of real estate in South Boston. Really? Oh, all, all See, the, I did not know that. Oh, my God. Everybody wants to live in Salty. Really? Beautiful restaurants are open. And just like the North End. The North End, Little Italy, you grew up there. You All your life, you wanted to get out. It was a ghetto. You wanted to get out. Heroin was rampant there. Right. You just wanted to get out. Now... 
you can't touch a piece of real estate there. It's it's, it's just it's crazy. The safest neighborhood in America now. Well, back in the day, it certainly was. Mm-hmm. The Italians are still there. I mean, you right. can still walk the side streets. I mean, when I, whenever I came home, I stayed there on Hanover Street, my buddy Frankie's place. But you go in the back streets where you know everybody. Mm-hmm. And there's those two guys standing on the stoop. Whether you wanted bed sheets to uh, to to tie us for a car, you went up to them, and they're still there. Hey, listen, I need this, and they send you three doors down, and it's there waiting for you. That's that's just how it is. It's still there. The social clubs are really? still there, that's but the amazing. mob is gone for the most part. And the guys getting out now don't want any part of it. No, These young Turks are crazy. They got no respect. They they just the animals, and everybody's around. As soon as they get threatened with jail time. And Big Brother's everywhere. So nobody wants any right. part of it. It's all fictional now. But the North End back in the day was the only neighborhood old ladies could literally sit on their front steps yeah, in a absolutely. chair. Three in the morning, safe as could yeah. be. I said it was the you safest neighborhood in America. You didn't have to go down there. Mm. Which is how it should be. Yeah. That's I mean, how it should be. Boston was a great city. We were called a racist city, which is true. It was very racist, but on both ends, on all ends. Yeah, on all ends, yeah. It was just, that was the mentality. Roxbury. Right through sports, too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The Celtics were all white. Oh, yeah. How about Parrish? Did anybody ring a bell? Robert I Parrish? loved yeah. Robert Parrish. Yeah, was I tell you something about that team. Well, Kevin McHale was on that team. Yeah, that's a Minnesota boy. Yeah, I mean, it I, guess, I I was a huge Celtics fan. All because we didn't have a team here. Yeah, well, we still don't have a team here. We're just Tim <laughs> but yeah, uh, growing up, I was a Celtics. Fan. Well, the Lakers were here, but I think I was like two when they went to L.A. Yeah. So I grew up a Celtics man. You know, so I've always loved the Celtics. I love the stories about, <laughs> you know the name Cancer Mouth Brown? Cancer Mouth, no, I don't. Cancer Mouth Brown's a guy who sat in center field uh, every Boston Red Sox game and said horrible things. Oh, really? I, I, I don't oh, even know that story. Look no. it up. Uh, just to hop on the internet. His name was Harvey Cancer Mouth Brown. He used to say things to people that were just unbelievable, really? but they never threw him out because everybody would go, I'll leave him alone. Yeah, yeah, They'd yeah. They'd come to get him and go, I'll just leave him alone, leave him alone. He's That's fine. Funny. He Jim Rice. I'm Jim Rice playing for the Boston Red Sox, but he's black, yeah. right? So uh, We loved him, though. Oh, God, yeah. We loved him. The guy snapped a bat over his knee one time, and I'll try doing that sometime. Yeah. And the bat was not broken either. He snapped the bat over his knee. Don't even try because you can't do it. Yeah, when Uncle Tommy says try that sometime, he didn't really mean <laughs> to try that kind of stuff. Oh my That's God. a bad idea. And you grew up with an uncle named Tommy? Oh, my God. <laughs> you want to talk to me after the podcast, you can do that. <laughs> Vinny's good. Tommy, Remember Johnny, not so good. You're a Celtics fan. Did you ever go to a game in Boston and listen to one on the radio? Johnny yes. Most. Do you know Johnny, Johnny Most? Most? Absolutely. He was the best. Yes. Johnny Most would call a game, yes. and he was so Celtics, and he smoked right in the booth like 100 cigarettes during a game. <laughs> and he had this voice, rah, 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 rah. and he goes, now Kurt Rambis is pulling a knife out of his jaws. He's pulling a knife. And he'd just go crazy. <laughs> you know, whenever the Lakers play. We were kids. We grew up on Johnny Most. He was the best. We would watch the game, shut lower the sound, but put Johnny Most on to listen. My father would always do that. He would talk. Johnny Most would talk, and this is a true story. About the old, uh, what's it called, parquet flooring? Parquet, yeah. Yeah. He he would know, and he would talk about on the air, about what area they were in and if the floor was live or dead. <laughs> yeah, the, for the bounce mean, of the ball. It yeah, was weird because he would know exactly, oh, he's, he's going to run in some trouble here because the ball is not as active. Like, the guy was a classic. He, he was he unbelievable. Was like what, what Harry Carey was <laughs> yeah, to Chicago. Yeah, that's Chicago, right. Chicago that, Harry Carey. Same yeah. thing. He was a god. Harry he was, was a god. unbelievable. He was unreal. 
But when the Celtics and the Bruins played in the old Boston Garden, which we used to scalp the tickets when we mm-hmm. were kids, grew up in the old Boston Garden, it, it, when they people would clap, the paint chips would fall off the ceiling at the Boston Garden. It's true. Then I go to you go to a, an excitement. Then you go to a game in Canada. You know, and it's a, it's like literally the finals of the uh, of the Stanley Cup. They score goals. Oh, okay. Like a golf and match. Like, and you're looking around. Going, what, what, what are you doing? Are you kidding me? Aren't you I mean, happy? It's, it's amazing. That's why even in comedy, I'll, they're a little quiet at first. I go, "What are you all Canadians?" You know, because they it's like they they wait till the end of the show and go, "That was awesome." And you're like, "Really?" Thanks for all the cheering. Thanks for spending all the time cheering. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, one thing, one of the reasons I love doing the show, and I've been I've been in radio for forty eight years now. Like I said, doing a morning show for thirty two years. All different people from all all different areas of the country talking about you know where they grew up, how they grew. Up. I love that stuff. Yeah, I do I too. Do. I absolutely love hearing about all the old neighborhoods, knowing a lot of people. You know, see, I, I am a huge fan of pretty much every place I've ever been, except. I'm not a big L.A. fan. I don't like yeah. Los Angeles. Yeah, I lived there for five years. I lived in Santa Monica, which was nice. Well, but, that's got to be nice. But L.A. is still L.A. You know, a lot of pretentious, yeah. phony people. Yes. But this is another reason why I was so happy to go home. Because yep. all the time I lived in the West Coast, I couldn't tell you in the different places I lived, I couldn't tell you four neighbors. We, yeah, nobody no, knew yeah, who anybody exactly. was. But you go home, even from back in the day, and, and your neighbors are there, and they remember you. And it's like like every night we have people coming over the house for coffee. Right. And, you know, They just don't know what it's like out there. You know, it's not like So this is what right. I want my kids to grow up around. You know, it's yeah. really, And then, like I say, I get to do things. I am so excited about this club. We're doing a show tonight at 8.30, tomorrow right. at 8.30. It's a great room. But great I've heard room. nothing but great things about the place. And uh, this couple, the Cartwrights, mm-hmm. they were fans of mine in Vegas, been seeing me for years. And then uh, Jerry Jerry's came with guy. them, and he yep. saw me. But I was always under contract. They never approached me, and this the timing of it. And here I am, and I'm really excited to be at this. I think it is be terrific, because awesome. honest God, I saw your name, and I thought, I don't think I've ever met him. Nope. Which is really weird after all those years. I mean, four and a half decades, almost five decades. And you mentioned how many years you're in radio, because the guy who's up for your job is like, no, 48 years. When's it going to end? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any day when's now, you a, never when's know. enough enough? Yeah, you know? when's enough enough? Yeah, it's not that good in the first place. <laughs> so, you know, it's got to go away one of these uh, days. I think that's why Linus is here. He was going to do the Linus in the morning. What JB doesn't realize is this will never be his show. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I was told that no, 20 I'm just, years... I'm, I'm just talking to you. You know why I'm breaking your balls? Is because the whole time you got yourself a little drink, but nothing for me. Anything. That's I was true. there when you buy the fridge. Back in the day, you had to get it for us. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back, Tom Bernard. <laughs> Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. Hey, compare, ci vuoi suonare? Chi si suona un friscaletto? E come si suona un friscaletto? Un friscaletto e tipiti tipiti ta. Hey, compare, ci vuoi suonare? Vinny Favorito on the best of. Coming up next, closing out the show. We're opening up the old 
We're going back in time to episode 19 with former governor Tim Pawlenty and his wife Mary Pawlenty. Next on the best of. Our very special guests today on the Tom Bernard Podcast, Mary and Tim Pawlenty. It's about time she took first place, by the way. So that was Tim and Mary. Or she, she deserves it, Tom, for sure. Thank you, Tom. First place. That's yes, very Mary. sweet. I appreciate it. Since I don't ever get first place in anything, she should. Oh, here we go. <laughs> hey, now. Two terms. Yeah, yeah, that didn't count. He's the silver medalist. Oh, silver medalist? <laughs> yes. I think you probably want to be silver medalist right around uh, this time. of the, In this neck of the woods, you probably want to be anyway. For people, about 40% of our audience is not in Minnesota. So we should tell. Them. Well, but they've all seen you at the RNC and know that you've been a you've been a national speaker. He's now a for worldwide a, phenomenon. What do you? Yes, yeah, a saying? worldwide phenomenon. We're much like the Beatles. Exactly. Tim Pawlenty should be our governor right now, but he just turned his back on us, stabbed us right in the back. It was unbelievable. You're awful. <laughs> You're awful. You're awful. <laughs> well, I, I just you know I thought. Uh, remember what I said to you many many years ago? I said you know why don't you and I just leave it about the same time. That would have been four years from now. <laughs> well, Tom, I, you know, I, I know many of your listeners aren't from Minnesota. But I served eight years as governor. That's about enough. I think two yeah. terms is about the standard. I love being governor. It was an honor to serve. But, um, you know, the tradition here, at least in our state, is people serve two terms and, and move on. Let somebody else have a chance. So I thought it was about right. Unlike your incredibly never-ending radio career. I mean, never-ending. It accelerates. It is never-ending. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's an interesting story. A kid from South St. Paul, a hockey kid from South St. Paul, becomes uh, an international speaker. Um, you get a very prominent spot in the RNC, and you're on TV constantly. Well, first of all, the talk shows really love you, don't they? Well, I don't know. You know, they're desperate for people to come on cable TV. They got to fill content, you know, twenty four seven. So that's why all these channels have twenty four hours of programming. So they're happy to have guests come. But no, seriously, I, I enjoy it, and I'm trying to help. Uh, you know, my candidate get elected. I know this isn't a political show, but it's a it's an important thing to get on those cable shows. People watch, you know, broadcast, rebroadcast, but they do need people to come on and defend and you know send right. a message for their candidate. So that's what I try to do. Well, I mean, one thing we should should mention. Uh, Tim is a Republican. We're going to have a Libertarian on. And I may have to go all the way down St. Paul Mayor Chris Coleman to find a Democrat that will come on. We've got Sean every day of the week. There you <laughs> go. He's a card-carrying bandwagon well, so, Because we like to you know, all perspectives of the situation. I'm not going to go, you know, ten parties deep into this deal. I'm not going to get down to, you know, Marty Davis or what was that guy? What was that guy's name that always ran for, for office? He uh, ran for governor. Oh, what was his name? Marty I don't know. Morty. Well, there was a, there was a vampire that ran. <laughs> no, I swear to God. No, I swear to God. Am I? Rem- I'm not crazy. Seriously, do you remember <laughs> this? I do. Yeah. For governor? Yes, yes. vampire. He was a wrestler. He was a vampire. We, well, most more recently, he was a vampire before he was a wrestler. <laughs> oh, you mean he became a wrestler after? He no, he was, his last thing before he went to prison was to be a vampire. <laughs> okay. oh, oh, this guy so just keeps getting better and better. Vampire inmate. Okay, but no, he was. He actually ran. No, I'm, I'm surprised and I, he didn't fact, win. I think That's he weird. actually made it to one of the debates. Even. Oh, so. he did. I, I debated the I'd vampire. I like to dig I some of that. Wasn't his name like the Impaler or something like that? <laughs> it was, that was something right. Are you thinking of? Oh, um, 
Well, I, the Impaler was a wrestler, but I think it's a different guy. Tom. Yeah. Oh, it was a different guy. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know my. Wasn't Nord the Barbarian? Wasn't Nord the Barbarian? <laughs> no. Wasn't <laughs> Wayne the Train Bloom? Wayne the Train grew up with Wayne the Train Bloom. Absolutely, grew up with him. But anyway, going from in South St. Paul would be a working class area for you know in any major city in America. To go from, from like I said, being a hockey kid in, in South St. Paul to becoming an international speaker, that's quite a, quite a leap. Well, it, with life, as I'm sure you found it this way, too, it had, a lot of this stuff unfolds incrementally. So if you look back over the arc of time, you go, wow, I mean, it's just breathtaking. But it unfolds in pieces. So no one piece seems you know unmanageable or overly dramatic. But it's, it's a great honor. I grew up in a meatpacking town, as you mentioned, and my dad for... Much of his life was a truck driver. My mom died when I was young. And to go from that to have the privilege to serve a governor two terms of this great state and do some other things, as you mentioned, is a terrific thrill. It's a real honor. And so I'm, I'm grateful for it. But um, it just kind of confirms that the American dream is still alive. It doesn't, you know, if you does. face some challenge, you can still get some things done. You can still have a dream. You can still reach a goal and, and serve and do hopefully good things. I mean, it's a very lofty goal. <laughs> I mean, well, when you think of it. well, his original goal was to be a dentist. You do know that. <laughs> You're right? going to be a dentist? Yeah, yeah that's what he wanted to that. do first. Dream big. Dream big. Well, <laughs> so you have a mean street. Tell him how it was. The, it was the car parked in the That was the thing. When I, when I, you know, our, we did, never had new cars when I was a kid, and so the town was kind of modest. But my when I went to the dentist, my dentist had a brand new shiny Buick Riviera parked oh. outside. Oh. The sweep back. Remember the sweep yeah, back? Absolutely. Uh, on the sure, Buick he's Riviera. living a good life. That's how that's the ticket right there to be a dentist. You get the Buick Riviera. And so he said, that's what he set out when he went to the university, which he had a chance to do. He said, that's what I'm going to do. And then, I don't know what, organic chemistry or something kind of... Kick my butt. Yeah. So that That was the end of that. It does everybody. Everyone hates O-Chem. Everyone hates O-Chem. I can't remember if it was inorganic, but that was the separator. You know, people (laughs) wanted to go to med school or dental school. The weed out class. The weed out class. Yeah. For me, it was was calculus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't understand that. Oh, well, you're For me, it was Jim. What? Aren't you calculic? I what? What does that mean, Tom? It's it's numerical uh, dyslexia. You mean dyscalculic? Dyscalculic. Dyscalculic would be the opposite. Definitely not that. That's a word. You're not that dyscalculic. That's that is a word. People see their numbers flipped or upside down. Instead of yeah, like I'm terrible with phone numbers. Dyslexia. I can't remember a phone number really? to save my life. So you definitely have that, you think? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. That or you I have the worst tested. memory ever. You don't see the uh, numbers the way other people do. Discalculic. Yeah, discalculic. I was in a conversation the other day, and somebody said something was extrogenous, Tom, and I thought it was a sexual reference. <laughs> extrogenous it, zone? It turns out it's a, it means it's outside of something. It's outside of a boundary. So there you have it. Word of the day. Um, oh, I like it. We're learning. You could add that to your podcast, a word this of the day. This is educational. Word. I, get I was actually thinking about I have that. a word of the day app on my phone. Excellent. And Good I never look you. at mine. I have I'm, it, but I don't look at it. I remember there was an episode, I can't remember what show it was, but these guys were gangsters, and he, this one guy comes up and goes, I'm going to shoot you in the head. And the gangster goes, well, that would be your prerogative. That's my word of the day. <laughs> That's your prerogative. <laughs> it was very, very funny. So one thing I, I, I do need to mention is that uh, back in the very, well, since, what, 10 years ago now, right? You won the governor's office 10 years ago? Yeah, 2002. So I... Uh, Actually, I was just sitting around one day and listened to all the candidates uh, who wanted to run for for governor, and I just decided that even though I had well, I had met you, I think before, but I didn't really know you. 
all that. I knew you, but didn't really, we weren't friends. Then. Well, should we tell the urinal story? Yes, we should tell <laughs> oh, the urinal story. No. This is a true story. <laughs> he'll I, only no. tell it once, he'll promise not like to, to repeat your, it. Yes. <laughs> well, the, the, all good friendships start in an interesting way. And Tom and I, our friendship is built on the foundation of a urinal. And, <laughs> as um, most are. <laughs> I'm at a golf club. We're playing at a charity or you know event, and I'm in the bathroom looking ahead as men do when they're doing their business at the urinal. And uh, I notice somebody's to my right and i say ever played this course before and of course tom's voice is indistinguishable you and mean distinguishable di- yeah very dyscalculic so he starts talking and i as he's talking uh, i realize it's tom bernard so then we both back away from the urinal when we're done and uh, i was going to shake his hand and he's like i don't think so so then we went to the sink so that's how we met right that's there. how we met. That's exactly right very memorable uh, why don't we wait to wash our hands and we'll shake hands exactly. yeah. so yeah that's how we met and then uh I was sitting around on the show one day, and I literally didn't think I thought that much about it, who I was going to endorse, because back then they allowed me to endorse people. Not since then. <laughs> but <laughs> it was the last time. <laughs> I, we're, you were going into the con- convention for the Republican candidate, and I started talking about, about you and the mm-hmm. fact that I endorsed you. And uh, and then I, the next time I saw Tim, um, you had won the endorsement, obviously, and then you won the the uh, the office. You became governor of the state of Minnesota, and Tim came to me and said, "You know, uh, is there anything I can do for you? I mean, for we didn't really talk about the endorsements. Just is there one, is there anything I can do for you?" And I said, "Yes, there's something really important you can do for me. Invite my mother to the governor's residence for dinner. Remember that? Absolutely. And you did absolutely. You said, oh, we'll get that done.' She. You know, one thing I needed to say very quickly: Toots, my mother." Loved Tim and Mary Plenty. I mean, adored them. She did. But she told Tim many times, I'm sorry, I'm a Democrat. I'll never vote for you. But I love you. (laughs) Remember that? Well, I remember your mom fondly, Tom. She was a sweet, sweet, sweet woman. And and one of the great things of our time in the governorship is having to meet some wonderful people. Your mom is at the top of the list. And we had enjoyed her company. She was funny. She was irreverent. She was so proud of you. And uh, I know you miss her. We miss her. And uh, it was great to get to know her. It was a treat to have her to the governor's residence. She was unbelievable. And she kept, remember that... So we're at the governor's residence having dinner. Andy, you didn't come that night with uh, your mom. Was it? Did, were you there? I've never been Andy, to the mansion the way, with your mom too. We had her there more than once though, because we yeah, had her absolutely. there for like a brunch. We had her there for dinner. Yeah, she was a regular. <laughs> she, she, was around. Around. she had a room. Yeah, no. she'd show up. <laughs> so I can't remember what the conversation, but we're sitting in the the residence of the governor of the great state of Minnesota, and I was talking about something, and my mother looked at me and said. Why don't you shut up? <laughs> Drunk again. Perfect. Just what everybody wants Why don't to you say. Just shut up. Like, okay, mom. You got a mom. You got to love a mom who does that. <laughs> yeah, I no get that a lot that. from this. So, it's become a situation where, where the Palentes and Catherine and I and the kids, of course, have become very, very good friends. I want. I try not. I try to tell the truth on the podcast and not kind of cover anything up. But we're actually very, very good friends. What? <laughs> Catherine's over <laughs> there. The truth. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I, no, no, the truth part, not the, the truth. Part. <laughs> whether whether he always tells the truth. Yeah, right. nobody always tells the truth. So we don't need to name any names, but there had had to be some people that you were forced to hang out with that you didn't really want to hang out with. Well, like I said, no names. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. 
Well, Mary, Mary can Mary's like, hmm, I, uh, I'd like to like, address that. It's radio. You have to speak. You can't make facial expressions. Yeah. It's a good facial expression. It doesn't, doesn't show well, afterwards. Well, I'll make an observation, Tom, and I call it's, it the, he's jumping the, uh, to my rescue. the human That's condition. Good. So people always okay. look at politics and say, you know, how can you be in politics because... You know, there's this kind of jerk or that kind of jerk or these right. kind of people or problems right. in politics. And I'll get to talking to them about, well, tell me about your job. Or, you know, what you're, and they'll say, well, I work at a big company and my boss is a jerk and somebody got a promotion. It was unfair and it was based on personal allegiance. You know, so they've got right. every place. Well, if you get enough people involved, whether it's a business, a church, a, you know, a golf club, a, a, any gathering of folks, there's going to be small P politics. That's true. So our, the stuff that happens at the legislature and Congress just ends up in the newspaper. The stuff that happens at the local, you know, manufacturing plant that's right. quote unquote political just doesn't show up on the news. Right. So you have in humans, you have a, a range of behaviors. You know, if you get a, a big group of folks together, some are going to be inspiring, great, you know, generous, kind, team oriented, and others are going to be difficult. It's just it's the nature of life. It's I the say, nature of people. I say a group over three is kind of. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking around the room. We got problems. We got double problems. We got seven people in the same room. Yeah. I'll tell you what. That's that's, but you're absolutely right. I I, and Tim is very generous when he talks about that. You know, oh, it's just the stuff of life, and that's. I have a view that in politics, it's slightly skewed, though, because the nature of people who end up participating often there is just a cross section of folks and. There's a, a batch of them. It's a challenge. I mean, I think it's to Tim's credit to be able to be patient with that. I, it, most people wouldn't have the staying power year right. after year after year with the cross section of folks in politics, and some of whom have a very narrow agenda. Some have, you know, it, there's a there's a batch of folks that I just think it's to his credit that he was that patient for that long. That is a perfect answer to my question. Cause I'd feel the same way. It's like, Oh my God, how can you do this? It's like being an engineer on a podcast or a radio station. <laughs> I don't know how they can do it because it would be so frustrating and drive me so crazy. <laughs> That I just could it. never. Andy's got it. Oh, Andy's no. got it. Andy's got it. Well, I don't have to do all that, uh, wiring and everything that's done for me. So Ew. that it helps. Also Ew. interesting. I think for my, my, our Catherine and our children, um, Alex was 13 when you became governor, and Andy was 15. And I think to be able to see what being a governor is all about, like I, to me, the governor when I was a kid was like, oh my God, he's the governor. It's like, whoa, that was a very big deal. I mean, it still is a big deal, but as a kid growing up, you're like, oh my God, the governor. And I, of course, in North Minneapolis, never got anywhere near a governor. I did see Hubert Humphrey once coming out of a Tipling house, but. That's a difference. Did he have a suitcase full of money? <laughs> Might have. They did find him with that suitcase full of money. That was, what, like 200 grand or something back in the 50s or 60s. But anyway, um, but, I mean, Alex and Andy, getting to know the governor at such a young age, it just seemed normal to you, I suppose. Yeah. I, yeah. It just seemed like it was part of life. Hey, well, it, it might have helped yeah. that it was, you know, that Tim is who he is. Because yeah. there are yeah, some people the, that I think might make it, would, mm-hmm. would have a different feel to that. But I yeah. think it seemed normal. Well, mm-hmm. I spent about half the time when I first went to your place playing with the dog. So that kind of... Yeah. Maisie. I, I still do. Yeah. Spend half yeah. my time playing She it. ran around the house and I'd uh, chase her and then she'd run past me and then she'd run past me and... <laughs> Yeah, we just did that for like fifteen minutes. <laughs> That's when Maisie it was broke a baby. the ice. Yeah, teeny Maisie. <laughs> Unbelievable. I um, so uh, you know, on the reverse of that, the reverse of that question is: your children, from the time they were very, very young, grew up around a lot of very powerful and very famous people. So they just 
consider that to be normal, I suppose. Well, I was pregnant. I was literally nine months pregnant when he oh. was sworn into the legislature the first time. We, I have the pictures of me, and I just, you know, from the moment they, yeah, the moment those kids hit the earth, that was it. It was politics for them. But yeah. the good news was that we'd made a decision early on that they weren't going to participate relative to, you know, being in parades and, you know, brochures right. Right. and all this kind of thing. And if you choose not to have them participate, then they can have their own life and their own friends, their own deal, and then their self worth doesn't rise or fall based on. Um, <laughs> One of our sound panels just <laughs> fell on mom. It was a gentle fall. It was gentle. It was a gentle, it, it was a gentle fall. But then, then <laughs> their self worth doesn't rise or fall based on his, you know, political right. fortune. So, but it, it, it worked out. We well, did have a good, some great memories all the time. We kept them out of politics, with the exception of the inaugural or or some very large events. We basically just kept them out of it, so their identity right. didn't rise or fall with it. But you know, the one memory was. We were at the XL Center, and President Bush was coming for an event, and we were backstage, right. and they brought his limo right into the hockey arena. So they right. drove it down a ramp and brought it backstage, and so he, the car pulled up right behind the stage, and the greeting party was Mary, me, and then our two young kids, and we were trying to explain to them, the president's coming, be ready, you know, he's going to pull up right here, right in front of us. So here comes the limo, they got the flags on the front, they got the lights going, they got the cops, you know, bringing them in ahead of time. And as the limo is pulling up, our kids are in a full wrestling match. I mean, they're uh, they're whacking each other. I mean, and Bush gets out of the car, and the kids are, you know, barely composed. And then we got that's when they snap the picture when they're shaking. Well, no, we did. We did. And then that very last second, it was like the mom's nightmare. And I'm like, okay, everybody ready? And we have to stop the moment you turn. And you can't tell from the smiles in the picture that you know, ten seconds earlier that they couldn't have cared less. I mean. it, it was not the moment that you want. I mean, you have these picture, kind of the postcard, you know, Norman Rockwell moment things in your head. and Yeah, they're all in your it's head. It's never like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How do your kids enjoy, are, are they interested in politics now? Not or they, so much. they hate it? Or, you know, it's usually one it. or the yeah, other. No, they're, yeah, uh, I'd say um, they're interested, but only as most people would be. They don't have a particular interest in it. I mean, they're aware that I was in it. They followed it. But if you went and asked them, you know, on a scale of one to ten, ten being really important, one being, you know, not so important. Important. Where, where? How do you feel about politics? It'd be on the low end of the range. Really? Although, that being said, yeah. they've liked some of the people, but it's been a choice. You know, as they've met so many different people, there are some people they've really loved, they've become connected with, and they've really liked. But that's because they've liked those people, not because they care about politics necessarily. Right. Well, how about the fact that how many years were you a judge? Thirteen. For thirteen years were a judge. I know. So how, and how old were the children when you when you stepped down? Um. I stepped down in 07, so I guess um, 6 plus 4, maybe 10 and 13, something like that, when I stopped being a judge, maybe. Do they have any interest in... In, in law? Practice in law, pa- or... You know, it's difficult to know. Mara is a very, um, or she's our youngest. She is a very math, science-oriented, mm-hmm. you know, know the right answer. She doesn't want any kind of fluffy edges, Um Anna is very outgoing. Um, she's more a communicator, um, kind of a big thinker kind of person. I don't know what direction she's going to go. So she's in college. She's in KU. That's right. She's at KU. What's she studying? It's Rock Chalk Dayhawk. She is a um, American Studies major. Yeah. And she actually likes it. I mean, it's America, not just you know American history, but it's America's place in the world. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see. Well, that makes sense. Um one thing about politics that I find fascinating is that uh, there's either uh, either you're 100% wrong 
I'm 100% right. That's the uh, that's just the way it is. Why in politics and I it's mean, both parties, the parties? That do it. Yeah. Both parties do it. Yeah. Democrats do it to Republicans, Republicans do it to Democrats. You're 100% wrong. Why is that necessary now? I think Tom it's a it's a, a function of a lot of different things, but one is this. The people who show up at the early stages right. at the activist level have very 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 strong views about certain issues. Right. And everybody else doesn't show up in those early stages. They kind of outsource the early decision-making to a pretty small percent of people on the right and a pretty small percent of people on the left. You know, the rest of the folks will show up in November and vote in the general. But when the early days of picking candidates, endorsing who the candidate's going to be, it's a very small percent and they have very strong views. Um, and so they come in and say, you know, look, I, I'm not compromising on my principles. They think that these are principled positions, and, and they are, and they don't want to compromise. And they view compromise as a, as a weakness. Um, if you go into the broader population and say, you know, here's the view of the right, here's the view of the left, you think there should be some, you know, blending of the two, a lot of people would say, yeah. But uh, right. for the activists, for the people who are the, you know, the defenders of the team flag on the right and the left, they don't want compromise. They want, uh, you know, strict adherence to their principles and their views. Is there any way that that is ever going to change? Well, there's one other thing that's happened since then is you have the disaggregation of the media market. So you have disaggregated by, if you're a liberal, you watch MSNBC. If you're a conservative, you watch Fox. You know, everybody can go to their own narrow channel and have their own views affirmed. Right. And so when you go on those shows, you know, they they sell to a very limited market. They're not selling to a broad market. They're, they're channeling their message strategically to narrow bands of perspective. Right. It's but a very what loyal I, band. But what I mean, a loyal band should be. I, yeah, no, yeah. And so, so they, it, it self-perpetuates or reinforces that <clears throat> perspective. Well, but... It seems to me, and maybe it's just because I feel like, I guess I'm a moderate, moderate, moderate person in most everything, and especially politics, because I I view the Republican Party as having all of these moral agendas on the far right, and I don't think that half of what is on the agenda should even be a political issue, and I feel like the Democratic Party is so angry and uses morality against everybody i i i feel like a lot more people are wanting things to come together in the middle and if the media isn't going to ever portray that for people how is that going to happen well, it's, it's actually, I think, it. headed in the other direction, Catherine. The, the moderates at the, in Congress have been essentially eliminated. So you only have left mostly uh, really committed conservatives or really committed liberals. And the people in the old days who used to be the hinge in between the, the moderate members who would you know, find the compromise and bring the two sides together, they're all gone. So I think we're at a point now where one side or the other is going to have to prevail in order to move things forward. Because the the group that used to be the compromise group is gone. And you think that's what the people want? No, because if you poll the broader uh, population, you know, I have strong views, obviously, as a Republican. Mm -hmm. Somebody here else might have strong views as a liberal. But if you just poll, if you poll uh, the people generally, you know, they they like a little of this and a little, you know, that most people consider themselves or plurality people consider themselves independents. They don't even affiliate with one party or the other. Hmm. 
Okay. She's looking for a slice of I hope here, bud. She's looking for something. <laughs> yeah. Give me a crumb, It's like it's man. going the other way. Just a we are We are clashing one another permanently. <laughs> well, I mean, can I give her hope? Oh, come on. This is the truth. Where's we tell it? the truth that's, well, that's the okay, but Seriously, that's what I want to know. It's Great, actually becoming more polarized, not less polarized. Okay. And, and I'm not saying that's good. I'm, I'm just saying that that's the way it is. That's the way it is. Okay. You want the truth on the Tom Bernard Is there hope? Sure, there's always hope. <laughs> okay. sure, Sorry, not? Catherine. I, I was trying to help you, girlfriend. <laughs> Don't break up those closing ceremonies just yet, because these clips have just won a last-second gold medal for the best of the Tom Bernard Podcast, brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant. Great clips this week. Jeff Dye, Vinny Favorito, and Mary and Tim Polenny. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you next week.